You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, welcome back, guys. Welcome back. Hey, Mishota, how you going, mate? What's cracking over in Melbourne? I'm doing well. Yeah, not too much. I got my uh, booster shot yesterday and I, I wasn't really expecting anything kind of to happen, but I'm actually kind of feeling a little sick today. So, Oh, I really? Yeah. I, after the first one, I had nothing. Second one, mm. I was really sick after the second vaccine. Third one, like this one, like a little bit. So, I'm actually feeling a little bit, little bit rough, but not too oh, bad. Damn. Yeah. I've... Uh, yeah, I, I didn't have any side effects at all. Like people tell me, oh, you get the Pfizer shot. Oh, you're going to get so sick. I don't know. I had both of mine and I was fine. The only thing that was annoying, but that's the same with all needles is I couldn't really lift my arm up very yeah. much for, for like a period of time. But that's just like if you went and got dry needling in your deltoid anyway, you wouldn't be able to do that. So it's like, yeah. but no, nah, I've, I've, I've hit the jackpot, I think. But yeah, I do need to get my boost. I need to get on that because I'm now, well- I think I was eligible like a month ago, but um, can go and get that and probably worthwhile before we go to America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of traveling. So, uh, mm. and we'll be really tired as well. So, we'll be run down. So, I need to have as much protection as possible. We actually had a lot of feedback uh, last week. We At the start of the uh, podcast, we were discussing um, the introduction that you recorded. Uh, yeah. well, how's it go? So you say As, myself, uh, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish. That's right. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, a lot of people were confused that there's... Uh, Where's this third? Where's this third fellow <laughs> that never <laughs> appears on the podcast? Um, couple That's of, hilarious. Yeah, we got a couple of comments. One was, um, "I can't finally, I can't wait to finally see Brandon." We hear every, um, hear about it every <laughs> intro. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm actually Jack. <laughs> uh, got another one here. Please change the intro. It drives me nuts. <laughs> well, what do I change it to? I can change it. It's not that hard. No, um, I, think, I don't know. The intro is What do fine. I have to say? Just, just skip through it, all right? It's it's fine. I- <laughs> you know what it says. I mean, really, it's just a disclaimer. That's all it is. We're just trying yeah. to... <laughs> um, I'll just have to say... My my buddy Hamish and I'm Brandon. That's what I have to say. Actually, we got no, here's another comment. We could do I'm Brandon, and joining me as always is my buddy Hamish. That's the uh, that's the alternative. Uh, that's so, a good way of yeah, doing it. We, we could maybe. Do that. All right, I'll, I'll do that. I'm sorry for causing <laughs> <laughs> for causing anger amongst the community at, at how terrible my intro is. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's not even, pretty. It's not even bad. It's just, it's just funny that people have mentioned it. It's like uh, me, myself, my buddy Hamish, Brandon, <laughs> yeah, uh, the whole yeah, crew, and Frank. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, dear, no, we've got yeah. um, yeah, we've got a few interesting things to talk about this week. Uh, you've got some uh, news out of uh, Sony and uh, yeah. a new service they're they're launching to rival Microsoft. Um, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Elon Musk. He's back in the news. And uh, As always. The, the yield curve. <laughs> always, a, always fascinating to talk about the bond market, isn't it? So, oh, um, I am. <laughs> it's riveting stuff, Hamish. <clears throat> Absolutely riveting. Actually, it is interesting, though, to kind of follow the yield curve if it's not something that you do because it's, uh, well, just a spoiler, it's predicted the last many recessions for the last 45 years. 
and uh, it's uh, it's blinking a warning sign again. So, yeah, it'll be interesting, interesting. to talk about what's going on there. All right. Well, with that said, um, should we just get into it? Mm. Today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all of your trades either automatically by connecting your broker or you can do it manually one by one or using Excel. Uh, And essentially, it will track all of the different types of gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do those calculations for you. Currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. Uh, And then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 12 dividends different reports that can be used to track the performance of your portfolio, diversity, that sort of thing, as well as use the tax time to work out capital gains, dividend income, and more. At the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That site spelled S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. Use that link, sign up to a free plan, track up to 10 holdings for as long as you want, or use that link to get four months off a yearly subscription if you do want to go ahead and sign up for premium features. But um, even the free plan is great. I used the free plan for a really long time. So yeah, a lot of value to be had there. Um. Hey, you want to know something interesting? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know how Monish did that interview with Divya Narendra recently? Yes, the fa- the Meta platform. Yeah, Meta one. Um, yeah. I-, I got an email. It was pretty interesting. Uh, I think Divya might have seen the video that I made on it. And I think I might be able to have a chat with Divya on the channel coming up. Wow. Sometime. Like nothing's locked in, so I don't want to like confirm anything. But I just thought I got, a- got an email and we're just trying to organize it at the moment, but that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. That'd Talking be interesting. To, I want to, I really want to hear his story because you hear, if you watch the social network and you hear about and you, kind of all the litigation between uh, Facebook and, and it's all about Facebook versus the Winklevoss twins. Mm. But the third member of that Harvard Connection original team was Divya Narendra. Mm. So it'd be really interesting to have a chat to him and get his kind of take on the whole situation. But anyway, that, yeah. I just got I, the email just popped up while you're reading that little sponsor bit. So I thought I'd just mention it. No, That'd I, be I cool, think that it? would be really fascinating because, of course, you know, everything that when you're looking at something like the social network, the movie that's kind of tracking the very early stages of Facebook, there's a lot of he said, she said going on, of course. Yeah. So to get a different perspective on other people who were there at the time and um, how they perceived what was going on. Um, is is something that I'm always curious about of how things actually were kind of functioning because you always get mm. you'll get the perspective of the person who founded the company and it's all positive and uh, if you read like a biography or an autobiography or something and you'll get one perspective of it and then you could read a different biography of someone who was around that person and you might get a different um, perspective on on what that person's life was really like so it's always interesting to kind of see those different perspectives and he knows a lot about meta platforms he's um yeah. invested in the company super knowledgeable yeah super knowledgeable. i could be what what would it be two two degrees of separation from my twin mark zuckerberg <laughs> <laughs> Your twin. <laughs> yeah you do you do resemble him a little bit yeah you, yeah, it's, it's a comment an, I get a lot. You, I don't know how I feel about that, an, to be honest. Are you an earlier model or a, a newer model? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess you're a newer model. Sorry? I guess you can't be an older model. You have to be the newer model. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Maybe I, maybe they, yeah, I, I'd hope that I would be a newer model. Hopefully they've made an improvement on the original yeah. Mark Zuckerberg and that's I'm the improved version. I, yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. bad because otherwise they would have started with me and they would have regressed back to Zuckerberg yeah. 1.0. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I know Zuckerberg's not real and I haven't kind of figured it out with you yet. So clearly you're a more advanced AI. There you go. Yeah. Much, much more you, advanced. You've fooled me so far. So. <laughs> Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. What should we talk about first? You want to talk about yesterday? We had a meeting with oh, yeah. uh, with ASIC. Mm. It was quite interesting. Um, so for those maybe you're listening internationally, what does ASIC stand for? So I should know this: Australian Securities Investment Commission. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was really interesting. Um, we they pretty much put on a little meeting for all of us Australian-based uh, finance content creators, and mm. they wanted to. They've recently kind of uh, they haven't updated any laws, have they? But they've no. they've clarified interpretation of laws yeah. around financial media. I think is the way to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, all of this. The the there's one big legislation that regulates a lot of what we do and a lot of the stuff in finance, and that's the Corporations Act, which was made in 2001. So we've had this, and it's fairly broad. What's in the legislation? They kind of make these sweeping. Um, kind of uh, definitions and then it's really up to ASIC to come out and, and, and help people um, figure out how they are going to interpret the legislation, what they mean or how they think the legislation is meant to be interpreted and how they're going to enforce it. So, mm. um, of course, with the evolution of social media and the rise of, of particularly finance and investing talk on social media, um, yeah, I think, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, they brought out an information sheet um, talking about how, when it comes specifically to social media businesses and influencers, how they would be interpreting that legislation for those particular types of businesses. Mm. It was actually pretty interesting. So we've we've kind of had some updated rules and regs and that sort of thing, or updated interpretations. And and then we sat down uh, for about what was it? It ended up being like two it hours. Like two it was hours. only supposed to be <laughs> one hour, but it ended yeah. up being two, just because we had so many questions um, about how they're interpreting this and that. Because, I mean, I think it, we don't really mind what the rules are. I think we just want to we just want to know exactly like we want we want it to be clear what the rules are so that we know what we can and can't do we want to know where the line is yeah. so that we know to stay on the right side of the line not not accidentally step over to the wrong side of the line but no it was very interesting so we talked about a few different topics um one of the I, i've just listed a couple of key things that i kind of took out of it one of the interesting things was uh, and this is where maybe some uh, australian finance content creators are going to differ from us based content creators is that they i think the gist that i got is what i took away from anyway is that we're really flirting with a little bit of danger if we talk about our own investment decisions from now on is that is that what you kind and i should yeah. say the reason i'm saying is that what you kind of got out of it is that unfortunately every all of the answers that we got was still quite vague yeah. and uh, and almost political in a sense which is you know it was still nice that we had the opportunity to ask but uh, uh, we didn't we so i don't think we got any answers that were certainly like line in the sand do no. this but don't do that um, yeah. but i think my interpretation was that they 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 really uh, uh, would be looking closely if we start talking about our own investment decisions and, and why we've made them uh, as they feel that if you do it wrong it could it could unintentionally even uh, imply a buy hold or sell recommendation on some yeah. of those businesses is that what you got out of that section yeah pr pretty much and yeah as you said there were 
super vague on on you know how they're going to be applying the rules and i think one of the most difficult things for a lot of people to a lot of us creators to to navigate is this this media exemption that's existed for so long which should provide um, an outlet for businesses where the primary or the media where media form where the primary purpose of the media form isn't to influence people's decisions but mm. includes content that does or could influence people's yeah, could, decisions yeah and that's where there's a huge gray area. Um, I think the specific line is uh, the exemption is is allowed if the sole or primary purpose of the content is not to provide financial product advice. So that's where the question comes to, is the content's primary purpose influencing your decision? And I, I think it's super clear for something like, uh, and not many Australian creators do this as far as I'm aware, but the five stocks to buy kind of video, mm. clearly the the, the primary purpose of that video is to influence or could influence your decision on on that content. So to me, that kind of content is clearly not allowed. That's, no, that's well into the, the the area where you can't do that. Uh, but there's a there's a gray area. Can you talk about? Can you have a video where the primary purpose is education or news, uh, mm. but does? or may include some segment where you use an example of a real company or something that could influence um, influence people's decisions. Like take our, our podcast, for example. I think this podcast, at least from my view, maybe tell me if it's different. This podcast has two primary purposes. One is to talk about news that's happened throughout the week yeah. in Australia, around the world as well. And the other is entertainment, to bring a little bit of light to it, to joke about some things. I think... Our audience, if you surveyed them, I think the vast, vast majority, maybe even every single person who listens would not say that the primary purpose or a primary purpose of this podcast is to provide financial product advice. Yeah, which definitely not. means we should fit under that exemption and means- and I think if, so, yeah, if somebody said that that what, if somebody answered that that's what we were trying to do, I think we've gotten our, we've our done job wrong. very, very wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because that's yeah. not what we're trying to do. Yeah. Like, and I think that's kind of gets back to what they were talking about, like mislead, people that are misleading. It's like, we're obviously not trying to do this. No, no. We're not trying to mislead people or try and convince people for, to, to go with certain financial product. Anyway, sorry, I did cut you off just there. No, no, that's, the, so all that is to say is, it, to, in my view of, of a non-lawyer, I obviously am naive, <laughs> yeah. right? My non-lawyer view of that is that we would fit under the exemption. And what that means is if we do accidentally provide some kind of general financial advice in the podcast, it should be exempt because it's not the primary purpose of the uh, of the episode. So if we accidentally say or intentionally, whatever it is, if we say, I like this index fund over this index fund, um, as long as that's not the primary purpose of the podcast or the episode, which it's clearly not, yeah. we should be exempt. And I think that's where we want to get some clarity because we really didn't get an answer to whether that's yeah. okay. Um, that the, Clearly they said, you know, the easiest way to protect yourself is to not include anything that could possibly be considered general financial advice. Um but uh, I mean, with especially with this kind of content that we make, it's it's inevitable that there's going to be moments of that, and that's why the exemption exists to to protect media businesses like that. But hopefully, we mm. get some some further clarity on that in the yeah. future. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's probably the theme that I took out of the meeting is that we probably just needed a little bit more clarity, and we do. Well, it sounds as though we're going to have a, another meeting with ASIC, yeah. uh, maybe in. 
who knows, sometime in the future. So hopefully we can kind of refine what we need clarified and we can actually get clarity because I think that what ended up happening in that session yesterday is we probably asked the same question about six different times and we kind of which progressively tried to home, home in on yeah. a yeah like like really get you know almost force it into a yes or no kind of question but uh, we kind of got the same uh vague answer in six different kind of variations which was which is yeah. a little bit frustrating but i mean you can understand both sides we're trying to get answers that like they have to be I guess kind of political in a sense and not yeah. not lock themselves into saying yes or no on something that could potentially be held against them or something like that. But uh, mm. yeah, I, it definitely seemed uh sorry, you go. What or, you gonna or, say? I was gonna say I found the discussion around the different kinds of products that we can promote and advertise. I found that discussion mm. really, really fascinating. And as you said, yeah, we we tried so hard to get a clear answer on it. Um around what kind of can we promote financial uh, mm. uh, services. Um, so like a broker, for example, if a broker gives us a fixed fee, can we run an ad in our content? Like mm. um, the same way that they might put that on a billboard or they might take out a magazine um, advertisement or they might just run an ad on YouTube, right? Mm. Um, and ASIC seemed to lean in the direction of suggesting that we can't run an advertisement like that potentially mm. without a financial services license for um, a company. We can't run an advertisement from a company that deals in a financial product. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that was an interesting discussion because clearly there are other media businesses that sell their advertisement space that don't have financial services licenses because they're simply, they're simply advertising the product. Mm. Right. Um, so whether we're being categorized as different to those kinds of media uh, that's what we're trying to get to the heart of um, and how we can navigate that. And, and I certainly appreciate yeah. that we are different to other kinds of media in that we have a much more personal relationship with our audience. So uh, I can appreciate that there could be, uh, you could reasonably believe that uh, we might have maybe more influence over yeah. um, an audience than just an ad running on YouTube or on, on a billboard or something like mm. that. This was definitely the second big kind of or probably the main topic of the yeah. whole discussion was uh, it, this This whole talk was uh, this whole discussion <clears throat> was supposed to be related to this uh, info fact sheet that the that ASIC released, which is discussing financial products and services online. And in that fact sheet, there's a very certain point which talks about what they call dealing by arranging. Uh, and the example that they give here is you promote a link for your followers to access an AFS licensees trading platform to trade financial products. It's a unique link that can't be accessed anywhere else. You receive a payment from the licensee for each click-through resulting in the use of the platform. So essentially affiliate program. Uh, people that access the link also receive a benefit when buying products because of your unique link, then uh, your unique link. And then their uh, discussion of this is that you're actively involved in making the transaction happen. The unique link benefits you and adds value to your followers who access the link. And this is uh, likely to be dealing by arranging, which is not allowed. So that's that's essentially what we're talking about for for the for the vast majority of this talk. Is that okay? Sure, affiliate programs are out by that kind of definition. Uh, yeah. So, for example, if we had a broker, uh, we wouldn't be able to say, "Hey, sign up with our link and you can get three free stocks" or something like that. That seems to be a very common we, example. We couldn't receive commission. For no, we couldn't receive commission for specific so sales. What we what we were saying is okay. Sure. 
I can understand there's maybe a conflict of interest there, especially if it comes to like app reviews where, you know, you're positively incentivized to say that this is really good and you should Mm. sign up. So I can understand why they've taken this stance. But I think what we're trying to get to the bottom of is, is it okay if we still have a sponsored clip, but it's not in an affiliate structure? So would we still be able to get paid by a broker um, to just run their ad, say, at the start of the video? Mm. You know, um, imagine where we have our share site sponsor uh, in this podcast. Replace that with just a pre-filmed, you know, voiceover actor saying, uh, you know, hey, uh, this this broker is Australia's number one broker. If you'd like to learn more, go to broker.com.au kind of thing. I don't know why I said that in American accent, <laughs> Australian broker. But uh, we just tried to really get to the nuts and bolts of exactly how can we work with, because there's no doubt like sponsors are a, a big part of a lot of creators' income and sponsors help make the creators' uh, platform actually financially viable for them. So we're trying to just get to the bottom of like, how can we work with these particular brands in a way that is fair and a way that is, uh, you know, within ASIC's rules. And I think it was just a struggle. We really didn't get a, really didn't get a rock solid interpretation of how, how we can work with brands. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of every, everything kind of came back to, well, it's contextual. How much are you involved in the process and how much is the influence there and that sort of thing? And it's like, ah, it was just difficult. It is difficult. uh, And I mean, look, that's the nature of the legislation. It's, it's by design broad, um, gives ASIC quite a lot of power to interpret it in a lot of different ways. And that's where there is, there's just difficulty um, in us getting some clarity on what it actually means. Because if the legislation was very, very specific and told us social, it is such a heading in the, in the corporations act, social media influences. And then it explains exactly what we can do. Then there's no room for doubt. Um, Mm. ASIC has to um, enforce the law uh, the way that it's written, but because it's so broad, they have quite a lot of wiggle room on how they're going to decide um, to to interpret it. And mm. that makes it difficult because they also don't want to knock themselves down to we're going to interpret it in this specific way and you're safe here. They still want to be a little bit broad so that yeah. you, they don't... Just in case. Just in case they don't allow you to do mm. something that later they decide they don't want you to be doing. Although one theme that I definitely did get out of the talk is that uh, they definitely emphasised that what they're really trying to stop is misleading and deceptive behaviour, yeah. which I think is really, yeah, right. really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so although I don't know this for certain, it seems as though, you know, if if you're – if you're honest, if you're open and honest and you're going about it in the right way and you are you are trying to um, to make helpful content that is not misleading and not deceptive, then that's, from what I gather, that's definitely a much better approach and, and much, I guess, my interpretation was it's much less likely to draw the eyes of ASIC than someone that is blatantly being misleading or deceptive in order to take advantage of their following online. So, yeah. um, again, no concrete set in stone yes or no's, but this is kind of what what I guess I, I took out of the meeting. But uh, Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope I hope from here we can get another meeting and we can really get to the nuts and bolts. And I even I've even just reached out to ASIC and say, hey, would you like me, for example, to to make ten mock advertisements? all with different, like all with variations of how they're presented, what information is contained with them. And then we can maybe just watch through them together and they can say, look, this one would clearly violate because of this reason. This one would be fine because it's structured like this and doesn't include, I just, maybe that's something we can do. Who knows? But um, yeah. Anyway, that was a 25 minute rant. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, not a rant, just a discussion, but uh Apologies if if you didn't find that particularly useful or relevant, <laughs> but it was a big topic of news for us anyway yeah. this week. Um, so I thought we'd we'd include it. Mm. All right, um, I want to talk about this yield curve because. Uh, uh, all right, I'm get sure- your flipping. All right, get your boring <laughs> bonds business out the way. All right, put your put your bond hats on, everybody. Yep. And uh, yeah. let's let's strap in. No, let's but go. look, this isn't this isn't super dry. I mean, it is kind of dry actually. I think, but, <laughs> but it is interesting. I mean, everything about bonds is dry. But when you actually start to think about the implications of bond movements or yield curves, then it mm. starts to open your eyes a little bit more. I think. Yeah, I mean, this is what I'm going to talk about: the yield curve and and the ten two spread. These two measures of bonds, they probably the most interesting aspect of bonds because. Uh, it's probably the most watched recession indicator. And uh, at the moment, it's it's sending a signal. It's saying we may very well see a recession. Uh, you hear that all the time. People say the inversion of the yield curve is a bad thing. Yeah, right? yeah exactly right. And the reason behind that is because for the past 45 years, uh, every time that this event has happened, and I'll go through and explain what, I, what it actually means, but every time that it's happened, a recession has followed within the next year or the next two years. So uh, right. it's been a perfect indicator of, uh, of, of recessions. And that, there's actually a good reason as to why uh, it actually is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it really is a great indicator of something coming, not necessarily tomorrow or, or the next year, but um, that something is is coming down. So first of all, what is the yield curve? So um, might be a little bit difficult to kind of picture this over an, an audio podcast, but a, the yield curve is essentially a graph uh, that plots the yields or the returns of bonds with different maturities. Um, right. So you can imagine just a, a, a basic graph um, on the y-axis, uh, you have the the yield or the return that the bond has. And on the x-axis yep. across, you've got maybe a one bo- one year bond, two year, five year, 10 year, 30 year bond plotted across. Mm. Um in this case, what we're talking about when we talk about the yield curve, we're talking about US Treasury bonds. So you could plot this graph for corporate bonds, for businesses that have debts out. Uh, you could do it for a number of different types of bonds. We're talking about US Treasury bonds where the US government has issued debt. Um, and normally right. this graph has an upward slope. Um So, and that makes perfect sense, right? So a shorter term bond, such as a one-year or a two-year bond, typically earns a lower return than a bond that is longer, such as 10 or 30 years. Uh, So as as an investor, I want, if I lock my money down for longer, then I should get a better return for that. Exactly. That's kind of the, I can't remember exactly what the, the name of the the reason behind that is it's called the uh, uh, maturity premium or, or something like that. Right. Okay. Whereby, yeah, you're essentially locking your money away. Of course, you could sell the bond, but the price of the bond will fluctuate. So if you want to guarantee that you get the return you initially expected 
when you bought the bond, you get the coupon payment, um, then uh, you got to hold it. You've, you've got to hold it until it matures. So essentially, if yeah. you have a shorter bond, you have a little bit more flexibility with your money. Um, right. So, and then what happens? So when we're talking about a yield curve that is flattening or inverting, um, first it would begin to flatten, and that essentially means that uh, the short-term, either the short-term bond yields go up or the long-term bond yields go down. So, yes, yeah, so you've got this graph that normally trends up. Now, mm. it's kind of flattening out. So, the yield yep. that you get, the return you get on different mature, maturity bonds starts to become really, really similar. You can get a similar return on a two-year bond um, to, say, a 10-year bond. And the yield curve is one way that people think about it. I think a much more simple uh, measure that people look at is instead of thinking about the curve, which includes every single type of bond, so a one-year, two-year, three-year, five-year, has all of these, it's a lot easier just to look at something called the 10-2 spread, which is the difference between the two-year bond and the 10-year bond. So just picking like two points on the graph, basically. Of course, normally the 10-year bond should have a higher yield than the two-year and uh, as it flattens over time, the gap between them starts to shrink. So, um, two points. So, it's like a seesaw almost up and down. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly right. And if the difference between the yields on those two, the 10 and the two, is zero, then the curve is flattened, right? So, yeah, essentially, right. you've got these two points and the curve is flattened. Of course, if the graph goes negative, so if the two-year bond has a higher yield than the 10-year, which is typically not what happens... Uh, but if that happens, then the curve is said to have inverted. So right. that's the event that people look for um, when it comes to this particular indicator. Uh, typically, it's it's trending upwards, so then it begins to flatten. And if it inverts, if the shorter term bonds have better yields than the longer term bonds, it's an indication of a recession. Um, right. So why? I, I can kind of just go through and, and break down why would that be an indication of a recession? Well, we already kind of explained why the 10-year bond uh, typically has a lot higher return than, than the two-year bond. Uh, a 10-year bond that is offering a lower yield than a two-year bond indicates that investors are buying long-term bonds faster than short-term bonds. And that basically happens when investors expect the short-term returns to be really bad. So essentially it is an oh, indication right. of people wanting to lock in a 10-year bond, a 20-year bond, a 30-year bond, lock their money away, even if it's only a 2% return, which is where we're at right now, 2.5%. Yeah. You want to lock your money for 2.5% because the return of other assets in the short term is expected to be really, really bad. So, And by all these people buying these longer-term bonds, then that bids the price up, which reduces the expected return, which is the yield. So, the yield comes down. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It, it can be quite difficult to kind of understand. It's hard to conceptualize. It is because, uh, you, yeah, you've got a bond which has a coupon payment. So, they're going to give you some kind of return and then you have the price of the bond. So, if the price of the bond goes up, uh, the coupon payment isn't changing. It's fixed. So, as the price goes up, the yield goes down. So, those two kind yeah. of work inversely. Um, and if there's more demand on long-term bonds, then the yield of that bond will, will go down. Um, and so, what we can essentially do is we can look at this measure of the 10-2 spread, the difference in the yield. And over the past 45 years, every time it's gone negative, every time the yield curve is inverted, there has been a recession. Um, so, it inverted, every in the, time. it inverted in the 80s, it inverted in the early 90s, 2000 it inverted, uh, 2008, 
even 2019, um, where Jeez. I think it was about three months later, we, we had the pandemic and went into a, a very deep, although short-lived recession. Um, wow. So it's, uh, it, it's funnily enough, well, not, it's not really funny, but it's, uh, it's, it's so <laughs> good at predicting um, trouble that's coming at the moment. The 10-2 spreads at 0.04. So it's basically at zero. It's flattened. Um, so, and it's been trending down for, for quite a while. So it's likely to go negative probably by the time you're listening to this podcast, I would expect. Wow. And it's kind of funny because it is a self-fulfilling prophecy because what happens is as, uh, the yields change in the bond market and higher short-term bond, the uh, short-term bond yields go higher, uh, it actually makes it more difficult for businesses to access debt in the bond market. It makes the short-term debt more expensive. And right. that essentially means that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, businesses that need short-term debt can't get it at the low interest rate they previously could. And those businesses start to fail, inducing the recession that this bond market indicator predicts. So wow. It's very fascinating. Of course- if It you- does make sense though. Yeah, it, it does. It makes perfect sense. And it's fascinating because there's not many indicators where it just it just works <laughs> across time. But if you, of course, if you do some research on the yield curve and inversion right now, everyone is saying, yeah, but this time's different. This time, mm. this time it's not going to happen. This, this time, this is the cir- circumstances. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Of course, we never invest based on these broad. We're not pulling money out of the no. market. We're not, and it doesn't even matter what we're doing anyway. But we never use these indicators to make investment decisions. But it's a fascinating one to watch because if it doesn't turn into a recession in the next couple of years, it'll be the first time in half a century that this indicator was wrong. Jeez, that's crazy that it just—it's just happened to. I mean, I understand that you were talking about how the self-fulfilling prophecy, but it is crazy that it's kind of been before every single one in like the last 50 years. That's pretty insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty insane. There you go. Well, you can, that does help you understand <laughs> why everybody on TV is always talking about the inversion of the yield curve. Like whenever it happens, you will know about it. Yeah. As soon as it happens, it is plastered everywhere. Cause I remember the last one that happened, which was what you said in 2019. I remember everybody was talking about at the time, inversion of the yield curve, watch out. Yeah. But uh, I guess clearly there's uh, there's something to it. Yeah. But very interesting. And, and I know that bonds are boring and, and you know, it's, it puts you to sleep. I understand that. But if you're investing in the stock market, understanding how bonds work is a really good way to get better at, at least in my opinion, to get better at analyzing businesses because, mm. and Buffett will talk about this as well, uh, a bond is very, very similar. We, we think about stock market investments in a very, very similar way to, to a bond, except that the bond has fixed cash flows. Yeah. Um, so you kind of know what's coming in the future. They're really easy to value for certainty if you hold them mm. to maturity. Um, but it's, it, it's kind of a, it's a, very, it's like a, it's like a vacuum environment that you can look at um, and it help to help you understand how we should think about businesses, which is the same thing as Buffett says, we think about businesses as a bond, except the the coupons haven't been printed yet. We don't know what the cash yeah. flows are going to be next year. On the bond, it says you're going to receive, you know, $100 on, or whatever it is, $50 on this $1,000 bond. You're going to receive $50 every year for the next 20 years. It's it's written on the bond. But on yeah. a stock, we don't know. And we have to... We have to figure it out. What do we think we're going to get each of the next 10 years? So understanding bonds is a great 
baseline to get good at analyzing businesses, I think. Mm. I remember that's exactly what you're talking about. That resonated with me as well when Warren Buffett, that was probably a real like eye-opening moment when Buffett, he sent, essentially said, look, the discounted cash flow model, you know what that's doing, right? You are trying to turn a stock into a bond. That's what we're trying to do. We are trying to model out what this business will do over the next however long. Yeah. So that we're, we're trying to fill in the blanks. It's like we're getting a bond with blank spaces on it and we have to try and figure out what goes in the blank spaces to figure out whether we want to buy that bond. Yep. That's essentially what we're doing when it, when it comes to discounted cash flow and stock analysis, which, uh, yeah, very, very interesting, I mm. found. That really I – never, I never thought of – uh, investing or discounted cash flow analysis like that before I heard Buffett say that. And as soon as he said it, it was just like, it's yeah. one of those moments where you're like, oh, of <laughs> course that's what we're doing. Yeah. But, I, I, yeah. I think having those kind of analogies is really helpful. Another one that's really good is property because you can kind of think of it as, you know, the rent doesn't change too much. It's it's kind of simple. You have rent coming in, you have these expenses, maybe you have some maintenance and you might sell the property in 20 years there's not too many moving parts. So starting with something that's quite simple and then moving those similar principles to something that's very complex, like a business that has a lot of moving parts in a lot of cases is a good way to wrap your head around it and not get overwhelmed when you're looking at a business and thinking, oh my God, what is this thing worth? How do I even begin to to figure out mm. what it's worth? So yeah, we'll see. Hope, I mean, I almost just said, hopefully the yield curve inverts. I, I hope it doesn't because <laughs> technically it hasn't as of this moment. But right. it's trended that way, so it's very close. So we'll, we'll see um, by the time this comes out. Maybe you can do a Google search of the 10-2 spread and see if it's gone negative. Um, but uh, there you go. There you go. Well, on the topic of bonds and inverted yield curves, let's talk about Sony and Microsoft and video oh, games. So great transition. <laughs> 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 Worst segue of all time. It's up there. <laughs> Uh, no, okay, this is completely different, but there's no real way of transitioning across. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, next news story. Uh, Sony, uh, which, of course, makes the PlayStation, um, they are launching a new subscription service to rival Microsoft's video game subscription service, which is uh, Microsoft Game Pass. So it says here, Sony is set to launch a new video game subscription service this summer, seeking to drive sales of its PlayStation consoles and compete with a similar offering from Microsoft. The company said Tuesday it will bundle its existing PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now services into a single subscription service called PlayStation Plus. Uh, the new PlayStation Plus will be available in June. It comes in three tiers. There's a basic package. Get, get a load of these names. So first of all, there's PS Plus Essential, which replaces is the original PS Plus, which offers uh, players two free games each month and access to online multiplayer. It costs $10 a month or $60 annually. Uh, a step above the essential plan is, this is the naming convention here, PS Plus Extra. <laughs> 
So PS Plus Extra, uh, which comes with all the same perks as Essential, but now includes a selection of 400 downloadable PS4 and PS5 titles. It's priced at $15 a month or $100 a year. The most ex- ex- expensive package is PS Plus Premium. <laughs> this one includes 340 more games than Extra and lets players stream a selection of PS, PS2, PSP, PS3, PS4, and PS5 games over the internet. PS Plus Premium costs $18 a month or $120 each year mm. oh, oh my, my gosh I- ps plus essential ps plus extra ps plus premium i wonder when the the plus um just what, what drop the plus yeah uh, what is it a suffix i don't know but the, i wonder yeah, when suffix. that's going yeah. to end because we're obviously the, there's that's the boom at the moment it's, it's paramount plus it's apple apple or pro yeah pro true yeah exactly yeah Pro or Plus. It always kind of shifts over time. I couldn't, I can't think off the top of my head what else there has been, but there's, there's always been, I guess there was, uh, I don't know, but th- there's, there's always like uh, whatever the, uh, the new edition is. And yeah, at the moment yeah. the, the rage is plus, but it's been plus for a while. So I feel like we could, we could see something new soon. I don't know. But yeah, mm. that, that last one, PSPP. <laughs> yeah, I know, right. That's not a great It's kind of like Apple's naming convention. What is it? The, uh, the Mac, MacBook. M1, oh, like Mac. No, what was it? The MacBook M1 Max. I don't know. Or something like that. Know. They had some like weird Mac, name. Mac, Max, 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 Max. <laughs> anyway. No idea. Um, okay. But anyway, so yeah, move, move, moving on. So that's, that's kind of how it's going to be laid out. So, um, I thought I'd talk about kind of the video game industry in general because this uh, this might seem like boring news to a lot of people, but it's it's kind of representative of where the video game industry is headed, which I think is really interesting. Um, because what we've seen over the last few years as well is we've seen a lot of consolidation in the gaming industry. And the reason for that is because obviously now we've got PS5, we've got Xbox Series X, they're the latest consoles. They've still got disk drives. You know, you can still go to JB Hi-Fi, you can still go to EB Games and buy discs you know you can buy from those retailers you can bring back the disc plug it into your to your uh, your console and then go from there <clears throat> but in the future all gaming is going to end up digital like we're not going to be buying those discs anymore which no. is uh, sad for those retailers but it's just the way it is i mean it's very likely that the next generation of consoles won't have a disc drive and it's all going to be digital yeah um and if and of course with that kind of setup of the industry where everything's just digital downloadable content um of course the industry is looking to move like every other industry into the monthly subscription model because it's just so damn profitable (laughs) (laughs) so it's very interesting that now in 2022 we've got the gaming industry uh actually starting to feel, look and feel the same as what we talk about with uh, streaming services like Netflix and Disney Plus. Mm. And um, one of the key, you know, arguments we've been talking about for these streaming services over the last little while is how important it is if you're going to do monthly subscription or monthly streaming options and there's going to be multiple monthly streaming options, how important it is for you to have the original content, for you to own the content. Mm. And that's what's driving this consolidation in the space. And it's mainly, I would say, the the company that's winning at the moment is Microsoft because I can tell you um, about some of the stuff 
uh, that Microsoft's been doing. And Microsoft have been acquiring for the last few years now. They've been really focused on video game developer acquisitions. Mm. Uh, for example, they acquired Mojang in 2014, so that's Minecraft. They went on a spree in 2018. They acquired Compulsion Games, Inexile Entertainment, Ninja Theory, Obsidian Entertainment, Playground Games, and Undead Labs, which gave them ownership to the Wasteland series, Outer Worlds, Forza, State of Decay games, among others. Then in 2021, they acquired Zen Max Media or Bethesda Softworks, which is Dishonored, Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Doom, Quake, Wolfenstein, Evil Within games. Uh, and now in 2022, we spoke about this maybe a couple months back, mm. uh, is that they're now trying to acquire Activision Blizzard. That acquisition is pending, which gives them Call of Duty and Warcraft and all those uh, kind of uh, franchise games of Warcraft, Heroes of the Storm and all, all those other ones. Mm. Um so it's very interesting that this is the direction that like this huge amount of consolidation, but it makes total sense. Yeah. Sony is obviously now trying to get in on this as well. And in fact, they, uh, they, they've they also been doing some acquisitions. So they have acquired Insomniac Games in 2019, uh, Housemark, uh, Firespite, Bluepoint in 2021. And recently they announced the acquisition of Bungie, which is the makers of Destiny and also some of the old Halo games, but I don't think they make Halo games anymore. But mm. it's very interesting that this, while, you know, oh, Sony's introducing a new PlayStation subscription service, why that may not seem like news in general, it does give you an insight into the broader gaming industry. What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's clearly a massive shift going on. The first you mentioned was that um, people have got moving away from buying physical discs to just downloading the game from the Sony store or the Microsoft whatever store. store, whatever it is, and downloading it onto the device and accessing it that way, right? But then there's going to be one other shift towards really what uh, movies and television is it now where this might be a long way down the road, I don't know, but it's very likely that you won't even need to download the game, that the game will actually be on a Microsoft server. And as, mm, long, as, the band, gaming, as yeah. long as the bandwidth is big enough or strong enough, um, and we will get there. It's just a matter of when. Uh, mm. Then you won't even need that much storage space, which is kind of a limitation of why you might still go for a physical disc at the moment. Because if you have a physical disc, some of the storage is on the disc, right? So um, you don't need as much space um, and you can hold more games, which is still a big limitation of even a PS5 console that you can't really fit that many big games like Call of Duty on mm. there. Um, you can only fit a handful of them before you need to get an external drive. So yeah. that's kind of going to be the next kind of push. But yeah, it is this big shift and it does seem like um, the consoles have a lot of the power because that's the most seamless way uh, that people could get access to games um, rather mm. than having to go to some external store physically. Um, you can just download the games within the console. Um, so then I, I wonder if there will be, because I mean, I, I'm actually not entirely sure, but I assume on a PlayStation 5, you can only download games from the, the Sony store, right? You can't access yeah. other stores. I'm not 100% sure, okay. but I, I believe that's the case at the moment. I know you can certainly only, from the Microsoft uh, from the Xbox store, you can only do yeah. that from Microsoft games. Yeah, because they have their exclusives and whatnot. Yeah, so I wonder if that will change over time because I wonder mm. if that's going to be uh, somewhat of a monopoly where mm. you, the console will need to allow people to access other stores. 
Yeah. Um, so what that landscape looks like, I don't know. Um, I think certainly if they're allowed to only have the Microsoft store on Xbox, yeah. th- they're going to win. Those two companies, Sony and Microsoft, are just going to soak up all of the revenue that physical um, uh, gaming stores currently mm. generate quite a lot of. So, Yeah, you're, you're onto something there, actually, because I've heard one argument is that uh, in the ultra long term for video games, the console... Uh, battle actually is totally irrelevant, mm. like especially with cloud, like cloud-based gaming. the The console just becomes totally irrelevant. It's more about what subscription service yeah. your what cloud-based gaming subscription service are you hooked up to? Yeah, and that's like what computer gaming is at the moment, right? It's just the, the your computer isn't really branded anything. It's just a it's just mm. a machine that you use to access really the internet. You use it yeah. to access the internet. And then there's this open field of all of these different things that you can access. Um, you don't get a... I mean, you had a little bit of this, I guess, before smart TVs where you had like a Roku or a, where you had a little, maybe an Apple TV device. Like a box You had to get a little yeah. box to watch movies or something. Um, you know, that's gone, right? You don't get a Netflix specific box. You just have a TV that is your mechanism for accessing the internet, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I can imagine that's the direction it's going to go for sure. Mm. Um They'll probably try and gate keep uh, as much as possible that Microsoft and Sony this is. So they'll, they'll try yeah. and retain the importance of having one of their devices. Yeah, um, probably. But where, what that will look like regulatory wise in the future, I, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, very interesting. Uh, that's kind of what's going on in the video game space at the moment. Mm. Um, Actually, there is a, I've got a segue that, that works well. GameStop. Go for it. GameStop, which is, of course, uh, hey. I don't know actually how they rank in terms of the um, in, in terms of video game stores in the US. They'd have to be probably the biggest store. If I think that, that, yeah, surely. They have to be the biggest, right? Yeah. Surely. But um, yeah, on, on the back of this news, of course, that's a devastating blow to GameStop. So the stock did terribly this week. I'm just kidding. It went up 130%. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, um, 130%. So it's uh, it's pumping once again. It's, We're back, baby. It's, it's geez, lucky I never sold diamond <laughs> hands. <laughs> yeah, lucky I made all those negative videos about GameStop, bought in right at the bottom, and now I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm cashing in. <laughs> and now here come the positive videos. That's a, that's a joke, ASIC. It's a joke, okay? It's a joke. It's not- Don't, <laughs> we're not pumping anything. Please look to America for that stuff. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so the stock's up 130% over the past two weeks. It's, it's surging. It, it, it had kind of basically trickled down from its absolute absurdity last year, about a year ago now, um, really for the whole of the past year. But now it's right back up there at $170 a share or something insane. And the reason why is because the chairman, Ryan Cohen, uh, purchased 100,000 shares, increasing his ownership in the company to 11%. So, um I mean, look, that's to be fair, to, to be fair, whenever an insider is buying, it tends to move the stock, but uh, for an inside purchase to move the stock that much is kind of crazy. 130%. Yeah, nah. Yeah. I, I, Although interesting that he is buying, like, I, I don't know. I feel like I'd just be selling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, well, so, so that's just me. This is the guy who came from that digital pet company, right? Yeah. yeah so he, yeah, yeah, he yeah. ran that- Chewy he, or something? Chewy, that's right. Yeah. So he's he's essentially coming in to try and move GameStop online. So obviously he's he's very bullish on the company. Um, 
So, you know, that's, that's you know. That's probably why. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know how a GameStop fits into this new environment. Um, like I said, maybe if the landscape is open on consoles, um, then maybe they, they there is a place for them there to continue to license the content and 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 sell it through a subscription yeah, or something. I, online, I don't yeah. know, but yeah, you're right. Owning the content, having original content, um, owning the games is where the value will ultimately be. Um, mm. Because yeah, I mean it's the same thing. Netflix has gone through as soon as they were successful. Um, all of the other companies didn't want to license their movie content to them for so cheap anymore. They upped the prices, or they took the content off and put it on their own platform to make yeah. money. So that's obviously very likely the direction this will go. Um, so we'll see, but yeah, I mean, it still amazes me. The company is valued at $13 billion. hasn't been profitable since 2017 and its best year, which I think was like 2013 or 2014 was 400 million in profit. So, um, they're at a oh. 30 PE to the best profit year they've ever had. And they've been in decline since then. So, um, I struggle to yeah. see it, but whenever I say that I get a mob of angry, um, angry people who, who, don't like that I say that and <laughs> say mean comments on my YouTube videos. So, <laughs> yeah, that was quite crazy when you, when I looked at the <laughs> comments on that video, it's amazing There's because so many people that are yeah. just it, on this train, yeah, on this kind of, well, uh, he, he's the th- this herd of we're going to, you know, stick it to the man kind of GameStop forever kind of diamond yeah. hands bandwagon. I mean, you just got to think, rationally and yeah I well know. well i made it super clear in that video that i'm not a trader that i i they're very well i mean the gamestop short squeeze was one of the greatest trades if not the greatest trade of all time so if there yeah. was a reasonable way for you to predict that I'm, i don't know like i'm not in that space then good yeah. for you that's great all <laughs> i wanted to do with the video was bring a perspective of if you bought the stock today i have no idea it, maybe you think there's some technical short squeeze coming or something that's going to push the stock up i don't know but if you held this stock from today for the next 10 years, how would I look at the company? And I would apply value investing principles. And it was just amazing the number of people who were like, who just didn't understand that perspective, Um, Mm. which was, yeah, it was was, kind of stunning. It It kind of shows you how many kind of retail uh, investors are actually not really investors. They're just, I, I feel like it's the stock market's just turned into this, kind of glorified casino at this point. Yeah, um, there's definitely an element of that. Um, Yeah, I mean, and look, that's going to be a big part of these zero broker trade, um, zero um, brokerage brokers in the US. Uh, It really invites a, it does, it invites another element of of gambling um, that that, uh, gambling apps, um, sports betting apps have kind of introduced as well, that it's just easy if you're, (laughs) you don't have to go anywhere, you don't have to pick up a phone, you can just put a little bit of money into an account and just mess around. And for a lot of young people, that's thrilling. Um, And it's kind of disappointing, but at the same time, I don't know, I guess as long as you know your, I mean, if you have, if you want to have a gambling speculative, you know, part, and and you know that that's what you're doing. You're just gambling, and you can manage it. Then that's fine. I, I whatever do you know? Live and let yeah. live, right? But yeah, it does. It is a blurred line when you you're you're in the stock market and doing that because you need to make a distinction about what you're trying to do. Not don't fall into the trap of thinking you're actually making money um, betting on speculative companies because you're probably mm. going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> and on that cheery note. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I mean, it's true. On that cheery note, should we do a couple of Q&A questions? Yes. Let's do right, it. cool. Um, uh, do you want to uh, – this one's addressed to me. You want to ask this one to me right. and I'll ask you the next one? Uh, all right. Uh, so, this is a question about um, something we were discussing last week, I guess, about diversification. Um, Brandon – how do I read this question? Brandon asks, why would you put money on the 10th best option rather than the first best option? Is that what you said last week? Is that – I think it must have been, yeah, we were talking about diversification. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did say that. And then yeah. – so, then his question is um, – so, what if the 10 best options already in your portfolio are expensive? Isn't the 11th option a better option, uh, assuming that it's cheap? Hope that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that, that does make sense. It's like I, my what I said, yeah, was like, why would you put money into the, your 10th best opportunity if you can just put more money into your first best opportunity? And then the question is essentially, well, what if, you know, uh, number one is extremely expensive and number 10 is really cheap kind of thing? Yeah. Um, but I, I think maybe uh, I should have been clearer, but I think when I talk about what's the best option, um, the valuation is kind of included in that thought process. Um, so they're like the, my, uh, my second best option might technically be a better business than the first best option, Mm. but the first best option might be like, who knows, trading at a massive, massive discount to intrinsic value. Whereas best option number two is, is not very cheap at all. Yeah. So I think that factors in, but no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, definitely. You got, you got to factor in. You have to factor in the valuation as a part of how how enticing an opportunity is. Definitely, in that sense. Yeah, yeah. I think one other thing I'll add to that as well is you have to think about uh, whether your research and your analysis at the end of the day on the eleventh best option is as good as your first or your second. Um, Mm. That kind of brings into the idea that you only have so much time to research companies. Eventually, if you have a 50 stock portfolio, you, you, you don't know enough about those companies. You might know a lot about the first couple that you added, but you probably don't, you're probably not keeping track of them enough. So, while you might see, oh, I could add a 15th stock and this one looks really cheap, have you really spent enough time on it? Um, And Mm. is it really a better option than the businesses that look maybe more expensive, but maybe you've spent more time on them. So you have a better grasp on the value. So that's something just something to think about is Mm. um, make sure that you're limiting your time to a a number of businesses where you you're giving yourself the opportunity to go deep enough in them rather than spreading yourself too thin. Yep. All right, cool. Um, Should I ask you this next one? Yeah, go for it. Okay, sure. Uh, hi, I have a big question for your next podcast. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about the best financial metrics when analyzing a company. Mm. Uh, maybe explain what they are and uh, I'm not quite sorry. That sentence, I don't think that sentence makes sense. But yeah, uh, we get. I think we get the, the gist of the question. Yeah. What, what are the best financial metrics that you kind of tend to look at? Can you think of things as best financial metrics? Mm. Uh, one stands out to me um, as soon as I read this question, um, and that would be some kind of measure of management's efficiency. So I think Buffett talks about the return on net tangible assets or something like that, or ta- return on tangible assets, return mm. on invested capital, return on equity. These are all measures of of the profits of the business produces compared to some form of capital within the business, whether it's all of the invested capital, whether it's all of the assets, whether it's the 
physical assets, the tangible assets, whether it's just the equity. Um, so using measures like that to figure out how effective management is at taking profit, investing it in a new warehouse, a new product launch, whatever it is, and seeing what profit is produced from that on a percentage basis, what, what's the percentage return they're getting consistently over time. That's one of the best ways that you can assess uh, mm. one, how good a business is because that'll be baked into the, the, the nature of the business will impact what kind of return uh, the business can produce, but also how effective management is at mm. making decisions. So that would be, I'll just, I'll put that out there as, as well. I think, yeah, I think that's a good way of really getting as quickly as possible to like the core, the core of how this is, how this thing is going to potentially perform for us in the future. Yeah. Um, but an, another thing that I would kind of just caution is that you, you definitely don't want to fall into the trap of thinking, oh, I have five favorite financial metrics. So as long as those five tick my box, then I'm going to buy it. Because I think that um, looking at a selection of or maybe one, two or three financial metrics, it it might give you some very handy information about a company, but it won't give you the picture that you need to really understand mm. to to make a prop to properly understand a business and and make an investment um i wrote down here like for example it's helpful to look at price to earnings or revenue growth or earnings per share growth or free cash flow growth but even after looking at those four um you still have no idea about what you were talking about just before hamish the management's effectiveness and their ability to grow the business or their honesty for example or they're on yeah yeah that's it that's a good one as well so it's like what's the return on invested capital what's the current ratio Hmm. um how are they managing debt what's the debt to equity ratio so i i think it's um there are definitely metrics that we value over other metrics like i think for example like i don't really look at price to earnings because i just think it's it just tells you what other people think about the stock it doesn't really tell you anything about the business um but yeah i will just caution people to you you really need to take a holistic approach i think is the way i would describe it you need to really understand the business and understand the story um, where it's come from, where it is now, where it's going into the future. And I think that overall, if you look at all of the financial kind of metrics that we look at together, that helps you understand the story better. Yeah. H- helps you understand the story of their financial statements anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I, again, I can't remember who said this. Maybe it was um, Seth Klarman. I think that investing isn't, it's not a science. It's not an art. It's kind of a combination of both. Um, there's qualitative aspects and there's quantitative aspects. And there are good quantitative measures that we can use, ratios and that sort of thing. Um, but there is quali- there's a qualitative aspect to it. It's, it's more like cooking where there is a recipe. There's, there's somewhat of a science. There's a structured approach. But how good that whatever you're cooking comes out is reliant on following the recipe, but also technique, right? And that comes with kind of experience over time. There's a bit of a, there's a little bit of art um, that's involved, certainly involved in, in in cooking. And I think the same thing applies in investing. Mm. There's the quantitative, but there's also the qualitative aspects. Is the management team being honest with me? Can I trust them? Um, that sort of thing. Those things, there's not really... There's, there's a checklist you could put together of things to look for, but there's not a financial measure that tells you if the CEO is is uh, is being honest with you um, and is mm. one that cares about the business, for example. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's probably a, a good place to, to leave that one. Yeah. All right. That's us, team. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's us done for another week. Um, thanks very much for listening, as always. Uh, if you have a Q&A question you'd like for us to answer in a future episode, just go over to the YouTube version and feel free to leave us a comment. Uh, just find the most recent podcast, drop us a comment, and we will see it. Um, but yeah, geez, that uh, that turned into quite the podcast. Mm. We didn't even get through everything we had written down. We, we went on that ASIC thing for a long time. Yeah, we'll <laughs> talk about Elon Musk next week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, guys, thanks very much, as always, for listening. Uh, do all the usual stuff, subscribe and follow or whatever you do with podcasts. Leave a review. We never say that. Leave a review. Leave a review. I haven't looked guys, at the reviews Guys, please in a while. go and leave a review. <laughs> we desperately need reviews. Please. I think some of our reviews like on Apple are like pretty, pretty nasty. Ooh. I don't know. So it's like people that hate you want to leave a leave reviews more than people that love you it's a good anyway, point yeah that's just the way it is oh, well. um but yeah anyway topic for another day uh thanks very much for listening guys we appreciate it hope you got something out of this podcast and we'll see you guys next week see you guys